tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is The Baseline, discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA. Welcome, everybody. You're tuned to The Baseline. Callie Warren Shaw discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA. It is crazy in them NBA playoff streets. So much happening. I know all eyes are glued on the excitement of NBA playoff basketball, but that does not mean that the NBA is dormant behind everything else that's going on. Oh, there's some rumblings happening. Definite rumblings. And I mean, it's only proper that we be known as the type of dudes that can help raise the dead. Why? Because we're bringing it back, baby. We're bringing it back. The autopsy reports, we keep it pushing. We keep it going. We got to talk about those teams that were laid to rest, man. We got to make sure we properly eulogize these teams because we have a lot of expectations for them in this upcoming offseason. So for me to break it all down as the baseline should only, you know, I got to do with my right-hand man, www.shawsports.net, Big Kahuna PNC, my man Warren Shaw, repping out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Holler back at me, Mr. Shaw. I know it's it's kind of close out there, man. Like, you know, it's hurricane season. Um, You know, you had a pretty close call with Isaias. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I don't know what to what to call that one. I just know it didn't touch you and it touched me. <laughs> so, but wow. you got but you got two more, you know, along the way that want to act all, you know, want to get up all up in its fields and and and, and start putting uh, alarm bells out there down in Florida. At least is what I heard. Yeah, brother, we do, and you know, it's you know, what are we on Tropical Storm Laura or something like that? Now we're all the way L. How do you go from that name to Laura? I, like, you know, what I'm saying that's like that's such a weird way of going through your family members, you know? Oh, they but they running through them, man. We're in the middle of the alphabet already, so it's 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 wild in, in these Florida streets, but we keeping it moving as as always as we can. You know, the NBA is definitely giving me something to to focus on outside of what's going on with. The, pandemic and still social justice issues but obviously the hurricanes are nothing to play with as well but we're, we're keeping it safe <laughs> but i am waiting as you mentioned i'm kind of waiting for something to kind of go awry you know and, and, and orlando is not out of the hurricane cones if you will too i mean they're just 200 miles or so north of where i'm at so it's it's crazy I, I can just see something like that happening i'm not wishing for it to happen but 2020 has been that wild where i can see the nba season potentially getting interrupted again now by a damn hurricane but Hopefully we'll avoid all that drama. Yeah, I mean, listen, the best thing that we can tell our listeners, you know, especially obviously now with so much that's happened over this summer, is to make sure that you stay safe. Um, you know, stay indoors. Um, do not put yourself in a situation where Mother Nature will, you know, expose, uh, as uh, Common would say, the bee in you. <laughs> right? Don't don't get put in that space is the best way that I'm, I'm trying to, you know, inform everybody. Uh, we want everybody to be able to stay safe. Um, especially during these times that we're living in right now. And, and hurricane season, of, of course, is one of those times where you just have to be very vigilant um, and, and disciplined in your ability to keeping yourself and your family um, and your friends, everybody safe when possible. But in order to keep that, you know, we're going to do our part. And to do that, we got to give you something worth listening to. And while your eyes might be fixated on the playoffs, that don't mean that things ain't happening in the NBA. And so, of course, we got to break down teams that are no longer a part of the NBA season. That means we are re-rolling back out our coveted autopsy reports. And we got two teams that we will definitely have some deep, in-depth conversation about what their outlook is going to be like in this upcoming offseason. We'll be talking about the New Orleans Pelicans, and then we'll also be talking about the Washington Wizards. So two teams definitely trekking in very interesting directions, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but nonetheless, it is worth the, 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 the conversation. 
And uh, there's a lot of storylines that I think can envelop themselves, you know, through conversations that Shaw and I have about what's going to happen with these teams moving forward. As always, be sure to get my man Shaw at Shaw Sports NBA. Get at me at Game Face. Leave the show's Twitter handle at NBA Baseline. Available on all the major platforms. You know where to find us. Be sure to catch the Baseline um, exclusively on Dash Radio under Nothing But Net Radio Network. Uh, you can definitely see us on, on Tuesdays. Uh, we, you know, we blow up things in the afternoon. I believe it's 1 p.m. Uh, and then you will also rerun our show on Wednesdays as well, too. So if you miss us on Tuesday, we follow right back up on Wednesday and we get you over the hump day. But as always, you can catch all of our content, too, via the podcast, the Baseline NBA podcast, you know, dropped exclusively, you know, by, you know, empowered by lineups. So be sure to check us out there as well, too. You'll see when we post the shows up, whatever you use as your platform to listen to podcasts, just look for the baseline um, and then add us to your playlist and allow us to be your go-to resource discussing all things happening in the association. Also be on the lookout for the baseline um, on your favorite SMs as we will be giving you our cover, uh, our coverage regarding the 2020 NBA playoffs. So make sure you look for us on IG. You know the baseline is available on Instagram. We're available on Twitter. And we're also available on Facebook, respectively. So be on the lookout uh, for some some definite video drops of, of our coverage of this year's 2020 playoffs. It's some good stuff. We've already got people running at the, at, at the at, foaming at the mouth, uh, ready to chime in on some of the craziness we've been dropping, man. So we appreciate people who have been supportive and hollering back at us uh, when we give you our insight happening covering the NBA playoffs. Listen, let's not waste any time. You know how we do, baby. You know how we roll. Let's do a little autopsy here in the breakdown. Time to break it down. Put you down to the bone my team, my team is dead! They knew we were coming, man. They knew we were coming. They're dead! They're all dead! Time now for the autopsy. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw. We break down teams that just didn't quite make it. <laughs> like, it's it's hard to say that because sometimes when you look at a team, you say to yourself, man, do I really, you know, I wish that the NBA would allow all the teams to participate in the playoffs, but just doesn't play that way but when I think about a team say like the New Orleans Pelican Shaw a team who by all accounts maybe there was this sentiment that 2019-2020 wouldn't be the year that we give them their just do like we give them the proverbial clock of when they will start becoming a playoff team uh, simply because everything that happened in the year previous with Anthony Davis going to the Lakers and, you know, making sure that they secure getting Zion Williamson and the hype around Zion Williamson um, and what the team was going to look like with Zion and Drew Holiday, um, whether or not Brandon Ingram, Ingram uh, was going to, you know, take this situation of, you know, basically being a, 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 a trade, a tradable piece you know, uh, for an organization that obviously, you know, felt like it was more worth getting Anthony Davis than keeping a long-term project like Brandon Ingram. You have all of these elements in here, and you're saying to yourself, Pelicans probably will be a good basketball team in the next couple of years. Then the pandemic hits, and they were in striking distance uh, of probably playing themselves into a possibility of being an eighth seed. And then you have to say to yourself, well, what does this all mean when you really see the Pelicans compete and play, despite what happened in the pandemic? And to that, Shaw, you say what? I look at New Orleans as a team of misfortune, honestly. While they were had amazing fortune to, to get Zion, they had to deal with Anthony Davis. David Griffin came in and, you know, made that deal happen and, and got him, got rid of him, so to speak, and got a, a very good haul. And a Brandon Ingram, who played the best of basketball of his young career, you know, on top of it, Lonzo Ball even had a good year. But it started off really porously, honestly, dude, with, with the Zion in injury. This, this is a team that had the designs of trying to be a playoff team from the very get-go. And the Zion Williamson injury just set them back so much further than they wanted to. Uh, and they made a late run. But as you're going to allude to, they came into this bubble with basically the, the cards stacked in their favor, so to speak, as the NBA positioned them 
to be within striking distance, you know, to try to get into that playoff game where versus whoever that ended up being. Um, and they just didn't live up to it. And now, unfortunately, unceremoniously, our guy, a very good dude, Alvin Gentry, um, got cut, got, 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 let, got let loose as a result of not being able to get this team over the proverbial hump. But yeah, I think a lot of questions are going into this offseason, as again, many teams have when it comes to the autopsy reports. But for me, it all started bad when, when Zion went down in that preseason game. Well, I'm going to get onto your point about Alvin Gentry because I don't want to belabor more of the perspective that I have regarding Gentry. I think Alvin Gentry is a really solid assistant coach. I, I, I've been always on the fence about his ability to be a solid head coach. And I, and I think part of, part of it is, you know, what is the angle for some of these coaches to be effective right now in the NBA? This hasn't been that we haven't seen Alvin Gentry as a head coach numerous times. He's had he's had quite a few opportunities, whether it be the Los Angeles Clippers, whether it have been um, uh, with the Phoenix Suns. He's had opportunities, okay? Um, and, and I'm not saying that Alvin Gentry is not a great coach. He is a great coach. But I would say that he is a great coach in what he does well, which is enabling his teams to be better offensively, Okay. And, and the problem that exists, and it's always the same old adage, some of the great coaches have to accept the fact that they can no longer just be good at one element in, 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 their, in their ability to communicate and channel what they want the team to collectively as a whole be good at, which is on all things. They have to be good defensively when it calls for it. They have to be good when it comes to hustling and, and rebounding and you know execution it have to be good mentally being able to communicate in critical moments you know what you want your star players to do if they've got to take a step back and let somebody else you know take over then so be it and and, and I just felt like so many opportunities for Gentry have been compromised in the moment of the organization's lack of confidence in the ability to get everybody to be on the same page, to be all in. And if it's something where it requires change of culture, right, can we honestly say whether or not Alvin Gentry, when it's all said and done, has changed the culture for Pelicans basketball? Or is it that we're saying that it's going to come down to David Griffin? Which, if that is the case, this is exactly the reason why Gentry is no longer the head coach. Because Griffin was not Gentry's boy. Griffin is now going to look for someone to help channel what he really wants the culture of Pelicans basketball to look like moving forward. And that dynamic in itself is somewhere we always come at these crossroads in determining the identity of a basketball team and the future of their success, with or without a frontline player or franchise player like Zion Williamson. Underneath it all, it's guised in the idea that the future of this franchise lies on how well Zion Williamson takes this team, carries them on their shoulder. But underneath it all, Shaw, it really comes down to what is the foundation that's being laid for the Pelicans moving forward? Is the belief that it's all about Griffin and the decisions that he's making and who he's putting in place as the head coach and how they're changing the culture? Or is it really going to come down to, I'm just putting people in there, but at, at the end of the day, it's all about Zion Williamson? I, I think David Griffin has been pretty upfront about what he believes, you know, for the team and the organization. He understands that, hey, culture is everything. Culture, you need that to be able to be a successful franchise and organization that ultimately wins championships. And I think he came in there as almost uh, – he really believed in Gentry. I mean, at least he said he did, you know, especially he said he couldn't – he couldn't have imagined a coach acquitting themselves better than Alvin Drenchy did with that Anthony Davis situation. And then they got lucky and got the number one pick. And then maybe that added some additional pressure, you know, once Griffin came really became there and put it, try to put a stamp on this thing, New Orleans and, and Gentry specifically, they, they knew who they were. And I mean that sincerely because when you your earlier point about Gentry being an offensive minded coach, he doesn't hide from that. That's why they brought in Jeff Bezdelic, you know, got him kind of basically to come out of retirement to help that team, you know, defensively. Bezdelic is known as a, is a defensive-minded coach. He was in Houston for a little while with Antoni and spent a long NBA career, you know, building defenses around the league. And that was his job. Like the NBA has really kind of gone to that where you almost have like offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. So they kind of addressed that 
it just didn't pan out for them ultimately, you know, and, and I think what you're looking for now with, with David Griffin specifically, he's, he's yeah, he's going to look for somebody who's going to bring a culture into this team and into this roster where they can believe in, and, and defensive principles can get Zion number one to lose some weight, be healthy, which is a conversation we can have a little bit later on as well too. Um, but they got to figure out what they're doing with Brandon Ingram. Got to figure out what they're doing with a lot of people on this roster in, in general. But I, I think for sure Griffin is looking at a coach who can establish themselves as a, as uh, as a culture starter. And I, there's some rumors about who that's already going to be. I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I'd be almost shocked if it wasn't Ty Lue simply because of the relationship Griffin had with him in Cleveland and how well that, ended up, I guess, eventually essentially kind of worked. Um, but, you know, I guess there's the names out there that they have to do the due diligence on as well. So when we talk about this New Orleans Pelicans team, right, um, and we highlighted, you know, quite a few different points as, as far as on the back end of this goes. Let's kind of like forward ourselves in the front end. Here the Pelicans, and you said this earlier, had – um, how should I say, a little bit of a um, inside straight to possibly being the eighth-seeded team in the Western Conference, right? They certainly had their opportunities to position themselves to play the, to play in, uh, to possibly be in a play-in game or even, you know, be able to participate. They come out of that bubble in the eight games that they played, two and six, okay? Um now it doesn't. It isn't without saying that they, you know, they did score the basketball. As you know, I, I was, you know, again we talk about it. Alvin Gentry is a great um, mind offensively for any team that you, that you want, and especially cut from the cloth of coming directly from the, the the Golden State Warriors under Steve Kerr. He brought you know some some tricks out the bag that remind you very similar, uh, very very eerily a little bit of how the the Warriors were play you know play offensively he tried to implement that when he had Anthony Davis at his you know at his disposal and you can make the arguments about you know whether or not he just didn't have the right players and you know whatever it doesn't matter I think what matters is the competitive nature and understanding the magnitude of the moment and whether or not the guys are preparing themselves in a way that is necessary for them to go out and compete and I and I say this to you Shaw because because of this pandemic there isn't much of a sample size in really establishing what they have in, in, in place that has a quick turnaround come the 2020-21 season that they're going to be able to work certain things out, right? Like you could look at the Memphis Grizzlies, for example, and you can say that's just a young team. They don't have enough under their belt, you know, to win some of those games that they wound up losing and then they, 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 they played themselves out of, you know what I'm saying, the, the, the ability to hold on to that eighth seed. They knew that they were up against a lot of tougher competition in a surging Portland Trailblazers team. You know, the New Orleans Pelicans, not so much because a lot of the guys that are on this roster are guys that have already competed through the gamut of the teams in the Western Conference for the most part. And even if we're saying that Zion Williamson is absolutely your best player out there and you limited the minutes for him or whatever the case may be. I mean, could you honestly say that a lot of the guys that are on that roster really stepped up and played to the highest level available, minus the fact that the COVID had sidelined those guys, you know, for a few months when they were somewhat in rhythm and, and, and contending, so much so that they couldn't put themselves in the best, best possible position during the bubble to at least compete for that eighth seed? I find that very hard to believe. For me, part of the issue started with Zion leaving the bubble to begin with, um, you know, to take care of, you know, some personal matters. Then having to come back, you know, they had to worry about his conditioning and the quarantining and the whole nine or the case would be. So then they were managing his minutes. And you remember they lost that first game and he didn't get to play the final five minutes or whatever it was. And then, you know, the second game, same thing, didn't get to play down the stretch. And it's just all those things really, really impacted that. You know, when it came to the Orlando restart, Lonzo Ball was atrocious. He was atrocious. There's no two ways about it. After having a pretty decent season overall, just came back to the Orlando situation and just didn't really give them anything at that point guard spot. So there's a lot of fingers to, to blame when, when it comes to what happened in Orlando specifically, despite having, um, again, the cards stacked in their favor. But, but in general, this just wasn't a team that was ready to really kind of compete at, at the highest level. And that's why we're seeing some of the things we're, we're seeing when it comes, well, what we've seen with Gentry. But I really... 
it's hard for me because we got to talk about the roster and the roster makeup and all the turnover that they're ultimately going to have. But a couple of things really stand out to me for 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 New Orleans, especially offensively. They're they're a top ten team in three point percentage. I think they're they're number seven. They're a top five team in, in points points in the paint. They're a top six or seven team, I think, in terms of fast break points. All these are great offensive stats. Take take one thing into consideration here, and I really want to kind of focus in on this. Their their point differential this year is negative one point three. Where that a lot of those things can be made up is they are 29th in turnovers and they're 29th in free throws percentage. That negative 1.3, if you're not turning the ball over and you're making making more of your free throws, that that might be the difference of you know five to seven wins, you know, right then and there. And we're not they're not maybe not even the situation that we're in right now. It's minor things that happened, I think, in, in general for them in the totality of, of their situation. But um, at the end of the day, now they have to figure out what they're gonna do with Ingram and how much you know are they going to pay him do you fully max him out do you give him a four-year kind of max deal instead of a five-year max deal um you know what do you do with drew holiday two years left on his deal at 50 something million dollars uh you you got to figure out the the fringe pieces Derek favors you signed him to a one-year uh jaleel okafer is on is also on a one-year all these fringe guys you know that that they have have to they have to answer those questions on and there's not a whole lot in free agency this year so so what do you do with the makeup of this team with whoever coach you bring in to put you over the proverbial hump yeah well let's go ahead and start answering some of those questions right like so to your point do you do you think that brandon ingram is deserved is deserved of being considered as a as a max player I don't think they give him the full five-year max. I think they figure out. Well, no, I'm asking. I, 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 I know. I know you're giving me what you're, what you're kind of trying to foresee, or you're, you know, interpreting what they might be doing. I'm just asking you personally. Do you think that Brandon Ingram is is deserving of of of, of being considered as a max player in today's market? Sure. Yeah, I think you know for because remember, not all maxes are created equal. Right. So, you know, he's not going to be the $50, $50 million max that like Dame Lillard or, or Curry is because of how many years he's served. So I think for where New Orleans is at right now, yeah. And especially going into a pretty, pretty dry free agent market, you know, you, you got to keep your team um, as close to intact as possible with that young core and let Ingram and Zion and even Drew Holiday to some degree. And if you keep keep Lonzo Ball, let that core build. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for me, I think for New Orleans, Ingram is a max guy, especially at the number that his max would be. So I think to me, the interesting part about what's going on with Brandon Ingram, the 23.8 points per game, phenomenal, okay? I'm not saying that Brandon Ingram is not capable of being a 20-plus point per game type of player. Um, 46% field goal percentage, pretty good, albeit – I think that for someone of his length and his ability, he should be further up there, close to the 50% range. He shoots close to 40% from three. That, to me, is a much is, is, is a bigger improvement, right? Um, I look at someone like Brandon Ingram, and I say to myself is, is, is he going to hit the proverbial ceiling, right, for what he potentially can give you if you pair him up with a guy like Zion Williamson? And here lies the bigger question. Zion Williamson gives you about 22 points per game, right? Um, There are some teams that you can live with at least your two players giving you about 40% of your offensive output and the rest of it being, you know, all of these other guys, you know, kind of falling in where they are. That would probably mean that a guy like Drew Holiday is going to continue to see a downtrend per se in his point production, because I find it very hard to imagine that Drew Holiday is going to be able to even give you 19 points per game, knowing that he is going to be responsible for getting what is to be, arguably, your two best offensive pieces on a night-in, night-out basis. Someone's going to wind up having to make the sacrifice. Because I look at all three of these guys collectively, the game represents very differently for me. I've always believed that Drew Holiday can very much be a guy that gives you 23, 24 points per game. But in doing so, once you start putting the word max next to a guy like Brandon Ingram, you have now solidified the idea that he is going to be a key part to your offensive output. And I just wonder if whether or not that should truly be the case given what you are yet to have seen 
consistently from Zion Williamson and what you even get consistently from Brandon Ingram. It's not like he gave you 23.8 points per game each and every single year since he got drafted. You know what I'm saying? He's given minutes and he's given an offensive system that allows him to flourish. But let's remember a lot of that is because Zion Williamson wasn't on the floor. So now that this guy is going to be on the floor, how much of that 23.8 is going to weigh into the decision-making process of justifying a max contract for a guy like Brandon Ingram? I think you have a, a pretty interesting point because we really need to like dive deeper into what the stats are. Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson together. I, I can only go right now by the eye test as I'm not looking at the numbers in front of me, but there were definitely times where Ingram was more hesitant. He was, you know, he's Zion is ball dominant in, in a lot of ways. Um, but when Ingram, when it was his team, yeah, he was getting 27, 28 points per game. You know, and I think as Zion kind of came back into the fold, that, that definitely had to dip down because his usage had to had to change. But that same level of aggressive, aggressiveness was not there. The interesting thing about all of that is you're right about Drew Holiday. Like, he's not going to be in the 20s if both of those guys are clicking in all cylinders. He's going to become somewhere in the teens, maybe still even the high teens, um, because those aren't right now. It doesn't – Zion and, and Brandon Ingram don't predict to be like 30-point-per-game guys. But like you said, 23 to 24 points per game, that allows Drew an opportunity to be at 16, 17, so to speak. And I think Holiday is fine in that role, especially if that allows him to focus more on defense where he's still very, very good and one of the top two-way guys in, in the Emmy when it comes to that aspect of things. So uh, ultimately, though, the the combination of, of Ingram, Ingram and Williamson together, that is really going to come down to coaching and scheme making sure that both of those guys can get their shots off. And then who does become the proverbial 1A um, and who takes the back seat? And I don't know that that's clearly defined just yet. And I don't know if Ingram, as good as he was this year without Zion, I don't know if he wants to be that. You know, and I think that's something that they'll have to figure out from a philosophical standpoint, for sure, because it's a very, very interesting question. I don't think they can't play together, but roles somehow need to be defined. Okay, so now because you brought up that point let me add a little bit more how should i say um chaos to the theory here so if j if drew holiday is taking a step back right and i and me personally I, maybe it's because i'm just really a drew holiday fan been a drew holiday fan since he was rookie of the year and i and i have always said it was a mistake for the 76ers to have moved him okay out, that's neither here nor there, and that's another conversation for another time. It's amazing how the Pelicans keep picking up 76ers scraps, right? They've got J.J. Redick on this team. And what is amazing for me is when you brought J.J. Redick to this team, the problem that you said you were addressing is the team's ability to get legit catch-and-shoot shots, catch-and-shoot makes. And obviously, J.J. Redick is the best that they, is the best that they, that they come in the NBA. But with that being said, with the way that Lonzo Ball plays, with what you may be asking Drew Holiday to do, where does a guy like Redick fit in this picture? It's almost to say that while they had best intentions of getting him on this team this year, and listen, his productivity really was no different than what he was giving the Los Angeles Clippers. For so many years, what he gave the Orlando Magic, he was really an an, an, an outlier, right? Like the points, I think, could have mattered significantly if the idea was is that this is the way that offensively they wanted to get what they wanted out of J.J. Redick. But now with the emergence of what you're getting from Brandon Ingram, to me, it makes a guy like J.J. Redick seem obsolete because you are saying essentially you're grooming Ingram to be your KD-like kind of player. You want him taking those clutch shots. So what value do you have with a guy like Redick on your team? And you can't run Ball and Redick on the floor the same time. I, To me, I just I, I don't see that. And I think with Drew Holiday, there is something there that isn't clicking with Holiday and Ball. It's not to say that Ball is not a great player, but Ball still does not have a true shot, shot yet, right? And ultimately, this is the type of lineup that cause internal fits rather than causing fits for the opposing team. Because I don't know how you get these dynamic pieces to, 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 to mesh. There's Right now what we're seeing is individual attributes that I don't know if melded together means completely an, an, an elite team in, you know, on the, in the making for a starting five that you're going to try and roll out over the next few seasons 
with a young franchise player like that of a Zion Williamson. I think some decisions are going to have to be made with this backcourt, you know what I'm saying, in order to really, you know, kind of show what the offensive flourishment can be for your two cornerstone front court players. Well, I mean, I think I slightly disagree only because Redick is 30, 35, I guess will be 36 going into next year. So he's not out here trying to command minutes or demand the ball, so to speak. And you always need shooting. There's no other rule shooting on this team. Ingram is a scorer, but he's not a knockdown shooter. Zion Williamson is a, is a freight train, but he's not an, obviously not a knockdown shooter. And you, your point about ball is very well made. He's not a shooter in any way, shape or form yet, really to, to the degree while he has improved. And there's conversations about ball being traded already, like a couple of days ago before we recorded here starting to see stuff it's like yo like new orleans really may be on the move with some some stuff so to that end you might be right where not all these pieces fit together but i don't think reddick is a problem in any way shape or form because no, no, no i'm not saying that reddick was the problem shaw but what i'm saying is is that he sticks out and is in a way can be made to look like a problem because of the fact that what he was giving other teams was effective and is what has made his commodity as a sought-after shooter for a team well-deserved and well-needed. I Listen, I personally said that I thought it was a mistake that J.J. Reddick came over to, to the New Orleans Pelicans because even if you're saying that he needs it, he is not what they need at that moment in time because you didn't know what you were getting from Brandon Ingram and you didn't know what you were eventually going to get from Zion Williamson. And now that you actually have something of a season to to be able to kind of assess that part of it, it really makes it seem like whatever Reddick is going to give you I don't know if it's going to be what exactly needs to be prioritized in addressing the backcourt needs and the overall needs for the Pelicans over the next couple of seasons, which, again, highlights part of what we, you know, you're coining your phrase, you know, empty calorie points, empty calorie statistics. To me, that's what it's going to feel like with a guy like J.J. Redick on this team because he's been on teams where his points, his shooting, and everything else seems to matter. I don't think that his shooting lack thereof on this team is what needs to be addressed initially when you look at the how this team is composited. That's all that I'm saying. I'm not saying he is the issue and he should be the problem, but what I am saying is that he's going to stick out like a sore thumb because of the way that he's contributed for previous other teams, and it's going to be unfairly uh, assessed in that kind of way is 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 kind of where I'm getting at with that point. So I yeah I still think in, in general he 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 adds the value for them that they that, again it's just that a commodity that you you have to have have in the league in some aspect and in this case he's not he's not in the way of anybody else he's not taking up minutes from from somebody else unless you feel like you know um, Nikhil Alexander uh, is, is is somebody who you really need to develop immediately right so I I don't think in this stage like there's any real issue with him being there because of the of the of sorry of the line of versatility that you can have if you need to take ball out you can move holiday back to the one where he can create and then you play in reddick at the two or whatever if you'd have ball out there reddick can come in for holiday you know and and, and space it for holiday even played some three this year as well too with some of the injuries that they had so i, I think it, they have some decent lineup versatility but they just don't play enough defense and reddick is actually a guy while he's not you know uh a block shots or steals type of dude. He's he's a guy who's going to get into you defensively. He, he plays he's hard. Always gonna, yes, he does play hard yeah. defensively, and, he, and he's going to be a good voice in the locker room as well too. So I think those are things that the value that that Griffin and others see in him being there. Um, but yeah, it's a great trade asset if if something were to kind of go awry. I just don't think this is Norland's team that feels like they're that far off. Where like like the 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 main guys that are on this team, where they'd be trying to get rid of them, so to speak. And Does that I, make again, it I'm dangerous in- though? Does that make it dangerous because like someone like yourself is saying, "Hey, these guys are not that far off." And I often say that I often say in that kind of context, well, maybe they're not that far off, and and there's like this foolish belief that they believe that they can easily be, you know, at least making it a part of one of you know the lower thirds playoff seedings in the next year or so. But maybe in this, on the other side of it is, hey, some of these teams that we have almost casted out or, or, or decided, you know, it's going to be a while before, it, maybe they are just getting that damn good that damn quickly as well, too. And so, you know, I, 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 I'm just throwing that, you know, part of out there. You know, I don't want to say I'm trying to play devil's advocate, but, you know, pitchfork in mind, you know, what if that is possibly the case that, you know, th- they could be playing themselves that they, if they don't try and make some kind of moves you know, here and there, they steadfast in this belief that they're going to be competitive and probably make the playoffs next year, whatever the case may be, that teams like Memphis take two steps forward because they do something that the Pelicans don't do. Well, I mean, there's there's always that possibility, right? And, and I don't think 
I don't think because of who they got had, let's say New Orleans ended up with the five or six pick or whatever it was like, they weren't supposed to like, they jumped into getting that number one. They weren't supposed to be as high as they were. Then the, the perspective and the outlook for this team is a lot different, but there's a lot of pressure on Zion to kind of be that guy, you know, at least alongside Brandon, Brandon Ingram and with a, a great veteran and drew holiday. And I honestly believe they just feel like, Hey, it's, it's, it's coaching um, and a culture that they need to establish. So maybe they're not just a year away, but maybe they're two years away or whatever it is, but there's a, you have a great point about, you can't just assume, take anything for granted. I mean, listen, you saw how great Phoenix played towards towards the end of this bubble. We got to see if that's, you know, if that's a phantom phantom uh, right. run that they may just, or again, Absolutely. are they now really legit and can really compete for that spot? As you alluded to, Memphis, same thing. You know, will they be, they, you would assume they're not going to take a step back. They're going to take a step forward to be competitive in an eighth spot. The only team that is really probably not on the come up of, if you will, that's in that league is, is, is San Antonio. You figure that they're, they're going to be taking another step back, but yeah, you know, things have have already happened in the draft lottery with, with Minnesota. And, you know, they get a number one pick, like all kinds of stuff can happen in the Western conference. So you're right. You can't take anything for granted or, or ultimately, but this is not a team that feels like, okay, that they are, they have so much more work to do as, as I alluded to point negative 1.3 was their, was their differential. And, and I think they can make that up. That gets them, you know, five to seven more wins next year, um, especially with the healthy Zion Williamson, which we didn't really account for. He only played 24 games total. Um, and this is a team that can really be competitive in the bottom of the Western Conference for a playoff spot. I want to rifle back very quickly, Shaw, before we have to, you know, move our conversation forward and talking about the Washington Wizards. You know, you had mentioned Jeff Bezelik as being brought back or, you know, kind of res- resurrected to help, you know, kind of, figure out a way to you know help this team play better defense you know for gentry what are your expectations with griffin's choice of the next coach how much of an influence do you think he is going to want to have um in selecting the coaches for whoever his next head coach is going to be or is he really going to rely on maybe the head coaches that he's been familiar with like your your point a guy like tyron Lou? who is capable of probably looking to get the kind of coaches that he wants to, to help improve a lot of the defensive deficiencies that continually plague this Pelicans team. So, I mean, this is, this is surely speculative. Like this, again, I don't have any inside information, you know, it's just, Oh yeah. No, never never that Shaw. No, no, but (laughs) I just think he's going to go with what he knows. Honestly, I don't think we're going to see some, for lack of a better phrase, and no disrespect, some random assistant who, who we haven't heard of, so to speak, get a chance to get an opportunity here. Um, I think he's going to go with somebody who knows, who's proven, has a proven track record of building some sort of a culture. Um, and, and to me, I think that's going to be Ty Lue. Um, or maybe a guy like Jason Kidd, you know, after the Lakers postseason is done or whatever the case would be. I, I, I don't know. I just, I can't imagine it's going to be somebody who's never coached before. And there's guys like, at least not in that head coaching coach, head coaching spot. So like, I know you like Yudoka and guys like that are all being talked about as probably that next gen uh, of guys who need to get to get an opportunity. Um, even in San Antonio, you know, some of their assistants as well, too. But I uh, I don't know, man. I just feel like he's going to go with kind of what he knows here to give that a shot and see if they can build a culture that way. All right. Well, the, the New Orleans Pelicans, you know, had the second worst record um, in the NBA bubble um, in the return. And ultimately, they fell short of being able to make the playoffs. But I think everybody, re- you know, recognized that regardless of whether they did or they didn't make the playoffs, I don't think that they would have been playing with a full 100% Zion Williamson. And I think, you know, it may not have been something that we'll extensively talk about moving forward, Shaw, but it is certainly something that we have to look out for with a guy like Zion Williamson is what he is going to look like, um, you know, over the next few seasons. You know, will he be compromised, you know, as being a liability, you know, not achieving the, the, the peak of his potential because he's going to be hampered by constant injuries? And it's just hard, you know, to rely on a cornerstone player on a, on a, you know, on a, on a player that you're saying is going to be the face of your franchise. If every single time you need him the most, he's just going to be someone that is on your injured reserve list. And listen, with all fairness, it is not as if the Pelicans have not gone through this previously before. Hey, they've had Anthony Davis and look how long it actually took before Anthony Davis finally became somewhat healthy in a consistent manner. Uh, for him to shine the way that he does. There's no question that Anthony Davis gives you MVP-like kind of numbers. It's just that 
in the most critical times and most critical stretches when the Pelicans, you know, needed to maintain their seating or, you know, he gets injured. And so I think the same thing may, you know, may be lurking around the corner for a guy like Zion Williamson if he doesn't address those issues uh, quick and fast. And I'm sure that's going to be a priority David Griffin is going to be looking at um, in the next in, in the next season, in this ne- in next up, up, upcoming iteration of the NBA season. You're tuned to The Baseline. Callie Warren Shaw discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA. This is our autopsy report. Finished discussing the New Orleans Pelicans. And now we will press on forward. And... Uh, Open up the body bag and start giving our assessment of the Washington Wizards, a team that only amassed one win in the NBA bubble restart. And everybody realized that this team was just basically a punching bag for any of the other teams that were competing in the bubble, um, respectively. Um, Bradley Beal did not participate in the bubble, and and understandably. Um, and I think that there now is going to be, you know, the big question that that really lurks. What will this team really look like with Bradley Beal um, and John Wall? And to me, Shaw, I, I don't know what what Washington's true mo really should be. Um, if your intention is is that you want to keep Bradley Beal. I guess the, there's a bigger question that lurks from this is, is it about building around Bradley Beal or is it about, you know, really building around the backcourt combination of Wall and Beal? Washington is, they're, they're, they're not long for, for John Wall, right? Um, I think they're saying all the right things because they realize, hey, we're kind of stuck with them. And there's... <laughs> Medicine has changed to the fact where I think a lot of people are, are thinking Wall will not be the same. And there's a very good possibility he could come back and especially, you know, maybe, well, whenever, <laughs> two months into the season, whenever that actually starts, he's kind of back to what a, what a normal John Wall will be, especially seeing seeing the game from the sidelines for now as long as he has been. You know, he can he can be effective. And I think ultimately the Washington is going to have to build off the backcourt combination of Wall and Beal. If can somebody you- came knocking on their door, hold Before on. You finish- Somebody came knocking on the door and said, "Hey, let's get, let's take him." They would they would absolutely do it, but that's that's not the situation. That's not the reality they're in right now. So Wall and Bill are going to be here for a little while. But I want to ask you something though, Shaw. Do you really want the old John Wall back? I, I feel like while point totals are you know skyrocketing in the NBA, I do feel like the game is not about the speed of pace but the pace in which you're playing, the, 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 the flow in which you're playing. John Wall has always been a fast and furious kind of player, right? I don't know if that completely works for a team like the Washington Wizards, even like right now. But you take a team like the Dallas Mavericks. Look at Donkic is not the fastest player in the game, but look at the impact that a guy like Donkic is giving you, right? And, and, the, and the way that he plays his game is fluid and smooth. I'm not trying to make the comparisons of what Donkic gives a team like the Mavericks to what Wall gives the Wizards. I'm just making a comparison of the the way that the game is being played and how a style like John Wall, while maybe two years ago, three years ago, that could have proven to be good. But I feel like it's, it's finite game, right? I feel like there's only so few teams that can really pull off doing it. Maybe like the Houston Rockets, which even now you can make the argument that James Harden plays that at a much slower pace, but they're effective in the way that they play at their pace. So that's what I mean, because with John Wall, it is streaking up and down the court, and you really don't get much of anything else from John Wall if he is not wreaking that type of havoc is what we remembered him. We know that that's not going to be what he's going to look like when he comes back on the court. Definitely not not initially, um, and and I see your point in terms of he's 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 learned over the course of the years. So like he's have to he has to play at different speeds. He can't just be you know the road runner running up and down and just all right whatever just take it and go. And he said as much. You know the games the games are played in in different zones and degrees and shifts, if you will. And I think that's where when he comes back, he's got to figure out okay what is his highest gear you know just has to understand what that is and then what is the gear that's necessary in that time and situation of, of the game and i think with bradley beal kind of even emerging a little bit even more in 
this time. Like Bill's Bill's a much better ball player than than he was two, three years ago. Like he just just that just is fact. So I think Wall can even acquiesce a little bit to that. And I think Bill becomes the guy, or not become is the guy, remains the guy. And Wall needs to kind of fit in around that despite whatever the salary differential differ, differential is. The question for me really is is the supplemental pieces now around that. Sure, Wall's got to come back and he's got to be some semblance of of his old self, but do you bring Davis Bertans back? And at what number do you bring him back? You get out of this, you know, Yamahimi contract, which was $15 million this past year. So that frees up some some space. But but the rest of this roster is a little bit iffy because, hey, you knew coming into this that it was going to be a struggle. So they didn't really do a whole lot to to, to build around that. Yeah, Rui Hachimura is here as well, too. Um, so Wall, Bill, Rui, um, Thomas Bryant. You know, those project as, you know, four of your starting five. And, you know, do you bring Bertans into, you know, to be that to be that other starter? You know, possibly. Uh, but I don't know how good that team ultimately is. Uh, but but at the end of the day, it's like hey, at least it's going to be a lot more competitive than it was this year. And they have some really great offensive numbers. I think you've been a been a, a great advocate for Scott Brooks, you know, when it comes to his, his time in Washington specifically. You know, the Wizards finished, I think it was 15th, I think, in offensive rating. But at one point, they were like second or third. <laughs> I think it was like January. And I was looking at stats. I was like, what the hell is this team doing here? They were scoring 140, 150 points a game. Um, but that's something that I think was 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 par for the course as a result of just kind of where they're at. And they've got to find a way to, to kind of lock in a little bit better defensively, but the roster doesn't really seem to be made up for that right now. So I'm interested to see how they, how they fill these supplemental parts, especially with wall Beal, and obviously Bertans potentially coming back. All right. So how high are you on Bertans? Again, it's almost like we talked about with New Orleans. You always want and need shooting, right? And he's giving you shooting at that kind of that four four spot, maybe even small ball five in in some instances. Um, And that, hey, with Wall potentially assuming coming in to drive and drive out and kick, uh, you want to to have shooters to kick, kick it out to. He decided not to come back into the bubble because of his contract situation, you know, nursing some nagging injuries as well. And, hey, he wanted to make sure that he remained healthy as the Wizards didn't really have an ultimate opportunity. But what's that number? You know, I, I I don't know. I think if if you can get him back, maybe I guess in the in the Yanomahimi range at 15 a year, uh, then yeah, I think it's it's probably worth it, especially in today's NBA. But if he's looking for like you know 18, 20 million a year, that that's that's tougher for me to to swallow right now. But I'm not like a capologist, so to speak. Uh, but just like from the raw aspect of where numbers are right now, that'd be a little bit much for me, but I think they need shooting and you just don't want to make sure that you over, you don't overpay for it. All right. So now let's go ahead and focus our attention on, you know, essentially the future um, at the three, four spot for them, which is Rui Achimura. I said that I, I said, be on the lookout for this kid. I think because Bradley Beal is not participating, you don't have, uh, you know, John Wall, obviously um, Bertans is not there. Um, you know, you're relatively working with a skeletal crew of players. You know, this was going to be a great opportunity for Achimura to come out and really show the world, you know, what he's capable of. I know um, I know you weren't particularly high on Achimura. Um, I'm not saying that you didn't like him. I'm just saying you weren't particularly high on him. And a lot of people probably weren't high on him because they probably don't know nothing about this kid. Um, but what I found within him reminds me a little bit like what I saw – uh, in young Giannis, there is just a athleticism that is like unknown um, that, you know, when his game continues to develop, he could be freakishly good. Um, you, you would hope that maybe playing for an organization like the Washington Wizards, which is starving um, to be able to help bring a player up, um, you know, out of their system and have him, you know, come out and, and, and be on a level that people can, you know, take notice. And you hopefully are taking advantage of the fact that he is helping the team turn things around from being a maligned franchise, you know, doesn't know how to win, it doesn't know how to succeed, you know, to ultimately being contenders. And again, it's still an Eastern Conference that is a toss-up, even with dominating teams like the Milwaukee Bucks and, um, and the Boston Celtics and Toronto Raptors and such. What do you think of, of Hachimura? Um, especially when he returned back in the bubble, what do you think the future is like for the Washington Wizards? Yeah, with him, I, I I think it's 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 just about development. You know, year one, he showed some signs, wasn't ultimately consistent. I think I'm a little surprised at the lack of 
plays ran for him, but maybe that's because other guys were able to emerge as again, like Berton specifically. Um, but he only took 11 shots a game, which on this roster mm-hmm. thought it was going to be more. I, right. I honestly did. And, and, you know, that just wasn't it. So the, the, the bubble was different for him. You know, he was a little bit more aggressive at times, but still kind of, coward if you will uh to, to the will of others a guy like jerome robinson came in here and was like balling for for washington for whatever or for whatever that's worth right um i think hachimura has to get into the 15 point per game range probably more like seven eight rebounds a game and figure out ways where either does he work on his three-point shooting this year or does he work on work on his ball handling right now he's kind of got like decent mid-range game um more of a slasher type 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 play as well too so can he figure out ways to create a little bit better or three-point shooting i'm not expecting both you know in year two i think you got to you have, there's definitely levels to this and you have to add these things kind of in phases but one of those two things he can work on and can really assist others and you know that with wall coming back you know maybe you want to maybe you want to work on three-point shooting to, to begin with right so that again another drive and kick option so so to speak um and obviously defensively i think everybody can always be better there on that side of it so i i'm not down on Rui, so to speak um but i am it's almost like what you said with rj barrett and obviously the comparison is you know not really even the same atmosphere but only in this aspect where is i just wonder does he want does he really want it you know and i think this is a washington team that could have used him to really be that guy alongside Bradley Bill this year, and he didn't necessarily show that that level of aggressiveness, like as you alluded to with RJ Barrett when we talked about the Knicks. And maybe in some, in some, you know, I'm not trying to make any excuses for him. Uh, maybe he got lost in that space, right? He got lost in that understanding of how he needs to go out and and get that, take that, you know, be, you know, you know, snatch that moment when it's there, and not wait for anybody to just give it to you. You know what I mean? Um, it's interesting because maybe part of the reason why I'm I'm somewhat high on Achimura is because he has Scott Brooks and and I, I've said this before, Shaw. You know, maybe I'm just being crazy for 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 thinking in this kind of context. Scott Brooks does really well with your three four players. Um, he's developed, you know, guys who in in, in under any other extor- circumstance probably would not have longer tenured careers in the NBA had they not been under Scott Brooks's wing you know and you can make that argument going as far back when he had access um uh to um to Jeff Green okay he just he 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 knows how to get what he can get Davis Burton's this guy you know was somewhat of a tweener with the San Antonio Spurs, looked like he was going to be a part of their future. He, you know, he he he's up and gone, winds up at Washington, and suddenly he is a perimeter, you know, shooting, um, sought-after type of player that, you know, now the Washington Wizards have got to scratch their heads and say, you know, how, you know, do we want to, you know, do, should we make a play to bring him back? If you're, Bur- you know, if you're Bertans, I would say to myself, hey, if I've got Scott Brooks as a coach, I, I like my chances of really getting quality minutes, and being in quality situations that give me the best chance for me to continue to shine. Now, whether or not it's a move by the organization to not bring him in, I'm saying that a guy like Bertans, who we didn't see this coming from, because most of his skill set has been, you know, kind of sheltered, playing in a system that is very disciplined and rigid in San Antonio under Popovich, he is now you know, the doors are open for him. And I think the same thing can apply for a guy like Hachimura. The difference is, is there's so much upside for Hachimura and versatility within his game. It would be a shame that he doesn't find that aggressiveness in himself to believe that he deserves to be one of the starting, you know, forwards in the, in, in the NBA, specifically in the Eastern Conference, and how much he can contribute for a team like the Washington Wizards. And I don't I don't see any issues there. I think my next thing with, with them is also what they're going to do with five spot, you know, is Thomas Bryant, Thomas Bryant. the full time starter. Right. So they list him as six ten. that dude's not six ten. Right? So, <laughs> you know, so can you get away with playing really like small ball five at all times, you know, with Brian, or do you find somebody who can give you a little bit more girth and size out there? And I think with the free agent market being um, pretty bad in terms of big names, there are some maybe decent size, decent names you can get in there to this space. And team we just talked about, like, let's say New Orleans, 
tries to move on from Derek Favors. Well, then Favors is a guy, you know, who would fit fit this mold and give them a defensive mindset, you know, that can go into this space and you bring Brian off the bench, so to speak. But again, I know what that number is. You got to figure out that math. So just throwing that out there in general. Well, I like Thomas Bryant. Um, I think he played very well and is even capable of shooting the three a little bit more, even better than Hachimura is at this at this stage of his career. Um, I think for what Washington ultimately wants to do, they're going to have to get a little bit more size in that spot. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, their front court collectively, they're they're gonna have to build that up. I think they're very they're very limited um, in their front court. And regardless of what you do with Mahimi's uh, contract, they're still gonna have to address that front court. Um, I, I feel like I feel like Mahimi is 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 gonna is well suited from some for somewhere else because wherever the Washington Wizards transition themselves to, he does. I just don't see him having a place, you know, f- for this team, uh, whether it be immediate. Or it's it's something that is you know delayed, so to speak, in his contributions for this uh, for this team. So they're going to have to address their front court absolutely, and you know they have to answer that question. You know where does a guy like Thomas Bryant fit in this? You know in in, in what they want to do in the future. And I think maybe in a sense you have to say to yourself, can a guy like Bryant thrive playing with the combination of Wall and Beal as his backcourt? Right. Like where where is it that he can fit in? Can he can he find a low post game, even if he's playing small? Can he find a low post game playing with those type of guys? Or is his game going to have to expand out in the perimeter simply because he can't find a way if Wall is always penetrating? You know, Beal is always isoing. You know, where where exactly will his game be defined when having eventually a guy like Wall? And again, that's what raises another big question about the future of the Washington Wizards and how they're establishing this offense, you know, with that kind of backcourt. Because there is definitely distinction in the way Beal plays and the way Wall plays. Yeah, I agree. And I think the one good thing about it is because he's not a traditional postal guy, at least he's not going to clog the lane, but you want to at least have the option every now and then to throw the ball down there. If you know if things are struggling and you need to get a bucket because wall doesn't really post up even as a, you know, a kind of a quote unquote bigger point guard Beal every now and then does, but it's not really where he's most comfortable and best suited. So I think you just, you always want to have those options and maybe that where it comes back to Rui, you know, maybe Rui develops that game a little bit more too, you know, where he can maybe take some guys and use some physicality down there on, on the post. But Thomas Bryan is a very good basketball player. You know, I think especially he's, 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 he's definitely evolved and made himself into a more than acceptable rotation type guy. Um, but as a full-time starter for Washington, who hopes to be, you know, a playoff team next year, uh, I question it, but I, I think he's a high character character dude and i think if they don't address that situation yeah they'll just they'll be like the celtics where there's hey it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't well and and i'll and i'll add this point as well too this is a team that does not rebound the basketball particularly well and if your commitment is to putting a guy like bryant somewhere in your roster he either is going to have to improve his ability to rebound help you rebound the basketball or you need to get guys that know how to bang the boards behind the the the, the offense that you're going to be putting out on the court Brad, the John Wall doesn't particularly rebound the basketball well. I think he does it, um, you know, when when asked under the circumstances. Bradley Beal, that's not his game, and it shouldn't be his game. Um, Bertans, he's not as physical a player as you would like. Hachimura, don't expect this guy to be something of a double-double type of guy. I think he, he can spread the wealth a little bit, but I, I'm not expecting this guy to be a double-digit you know, front-court player for you. So a lot of that work is going to come by rebound by committee. And you cannot conceive that you're going to be able to establish that with undersized players filling up your roster. So if you concede that Bryant offensively is somebody that has a lot of gifts, a lot of talent, and you're going to give up a little bit on the fact that he doesn't really rebound the ball consistently well, then you need to surround that front court with guys that will assist in being able to do that. Because the Wizard cannot be a basketball team that continually is hanging around the bottom third uh, of the rebounding category, especially defensive rebounding, um, because they can afford they cannot afford to allow other teams who are better efficiently um, off on the offensive side of the ball to have more second opportunities and chances to score on you than than you're already giving up as it is. I don't, I, again, I think just in general, Washington is, is is an interesting case because this roster makeup. While there's not a whole lot of flexibility in, you know, from a financial standpoint, the injection of Wall back into the lineup, assuming Bartans, they sign him back as well, too. Um, and then the supplemental pieces, maybe that they're able to pick up. Like, we really don't know what the roster makeup ultimately is going to be, but they don't have a 
a, a lot of flexibility, you know, just, just because of because where they're going to be financially in, in general. So I think you're 100% spot on where, hey, it's going to have to be rebounding by committee. Um, and Scott Brooks will have to find a new way to kind of in, inject a, a style for whatever next season ultimately brings for them. And I think that's the mark of a good coach. You know, you have to play and kind of pander to the to the system, um, to the players that are around you. While you want to obviously establish a culture, you know, not all rosters are created equal. And this this team that we saw this year is going to be very different from the one that we see next year, especially just in terms of chemistry. Absolutely. Well, look, all things being said, the Washington Wizards did technically give themselves a fighting chance to participate in this year's playoffs. Um, but clearly without their best player, you know, the, the the likelihood that they would have been able to leapfrog past the Brooklyn Nets, past the Orlando Magic, um, that, that just wasn't going to happen. Um, but nevertheless, if you have guys like Wall and like Beal on your roster, you have to feel optimistic. You have no choice but to feel optimistic that they will be able to rebound back and hopefully if they maintain their health will certainly be a formidable uh, combination against the rest of the teams that will be participating in the 2020-2021 Eastern Conference. Awesome show altogether, man, and uh, well well thought out and well discussed autopsies discussing the um, New Orleans Pelicans and the Washington Wizards. Good stuff, man, for real. And I mean, I enjoy these conversations when you really try to figure out where these teams can potentially go next. Um, but there's a lot of questions as, as they all, as there always are, you know, when, when you have these, when you have these conversations and not topsies. Um, but I think both teams are in a position to be better than they were this past year, which is good. But does that ultimately lead to playoff burst for them? And that's something that I think is not a given for either one of them. Absolutely. Once again, we like to thank you and yours for hopping on board with us for the baseline. Callie, Warren Shaw, we appreciate you guys. You know we do. And we'll catch up with you next time.